Isaiah chapter 52. Going to be a little rather lengthy reading, so bear with me. Isaiah chapter 52, beginning in verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The king shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he is wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare this generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. May the Lord bless the reading of his words. Isaiah 53, 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It's almost as though the prophet Isaiah, in the midst of declaring the great sacrifice of the Son of God for the sins of his people, that the prophet stops before he even begins it and cries out, Who can believe such a report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? As though what he was fixing to say was something so magnificent and so unmeasurably hard to understand and grasp, the prophet would say, Who believes our report? Who could believe such a report of that of which I'm fixing to say? 
That the Son of God, the Messiah, God manifested in the flesh, would come down and suffer so immeasurably for sinners. And that the Father would be so pleased to see the travailing of His soul and that He would bring such a glorious salvation to sinners which do not deserve any mercy or grace. It's almost as though the prophet would have himself begin, who could believe such a report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Paul himself would echo these same sentiments <clears throat> concerning the preaching of the gospel. In Second Corinthians he would say, For we, the gospel preachers, the ministers, for we are unto God a sweet Savior of Christ, in them that are saved and in them that perish. Think about that. The verse before that, Paul says, Christ causes us to triumph in all things. You see, my friend, the gospel shall triumph. It shall either save or it will condemn you. But God will triumph. And like the prophet Isaiah, Paul is saying, we're a Savior unto them that are saved and them that perish. To the one we're the Savior of death unto death and to the other the Savior of life unto life. And he finishes that statement out by saying, and who is sufficient for these things? Just like in the spirit of the prophet Isaiah. Who is sufficient of these things? If God looketh to the man that is of poor and contrite spirit and trembleth at his word, how much more poor and how much more contrition and trembling must be the man who stands before people and preaches that same very word of God? Who is sufficient for such a thing? To know and realize that every time I stand and preach the gospel, it will either be to the saving of someone's soul or to the condemning of that soul. And Paul says, and I say, who is sufficient for such a thing? Who shall believe such a report? Paul is of the same sentiment. Yet the preaching of the gospel we must, Paul says, and so does Isaiah. Because for it is alone the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. It alone is the power of God unto salvation. So often we as Christians read that verse and never consider what Paul is saying. The power of God, nothing short of the power of God, nothing short of the power of God can enable a sinner to believe and that unto salvation. Nothing short of the power of God. Who is sufficient for such a thing? Who can believe our report? Though nothing short of the power of God can enable a sinner to believe our report of the gospel, why do they not believe our report, the Isaiah, prophet Isaiah says? Why do they not believe our report? Is it because of the great depravity and darkness of sinful man's heart? We as Christians understand, hopefully, the depravity of man. He is 
deep in sin. He is in darkness, utter darkness. I did not plan Psalm 53 to be read with our text this morning. So when he was reading that, there's none to seek of God. I said this is amazingly bearing witness of the message this morning. Who is it? Why is it can they not believe? Because of the darkness of their heart? Man doesn't understand how far he is away from God and in what condition he is without Christ. He's in utter darkness. Though he thinks he's living in light, he's in utter darkness compared to God. There's none that understandeth. Romans 3 and Psalm 53 just said, There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. And so the prophet said, Who then will believe our report? If man is in utter darkness, how can he believe such a thing short of the power of God? In this day and age, it looks as though many people have taken the gospel and watered it down so much that it's no more the power of God, it's the power of persuasion. Sure. Let me persuade you that you need God. Let me try to convince you that you need God. Nothing short of the power of God can enable a man in such darkness to believe unto salvation. Nothing short of the power of God. Who then is sufficient for such a thing? Perhaps they don't believe our report because of the unimaginable and horrific measure of suffering of Christ of whom the prophets reports. Did you read with me? In Isaiah, as many were astonished at thee, his visage, his visage was so marred more than any man in his form, more than the sons of men. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We did, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he is wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. This isn't just mortal man. This is the servant of God. This is the Son of God. Is it because they can't believe the measure of Christ's suffering? Why would God allow his Son to suffer so immeasurably? Or perhaps they believe not our report because it is none other but Christ the Son of God which bears not only such sufferings but for our transgressions and iniquities a sacred head now wounded mine mine was the transgressions mine mine was the transgressions but thine the deadly pain you see the prophet understanding some of this like Paul and like every Christian understanding the depravity of man and the wickedness of man and the deplorable condition of sinful man knowing that it's impossible without God to be saved and then imagining that this is not nor, no mortal man that is suffering and dying it is not mortal man that is taking all these things upon him it's the very son of God it causes the Christian as well as the prophet to say who can believe this report I'm telling you the son of God came down and suffered tremendously on the cross of Calvary at the hands of God himself and died for your sins who's going to believe that no mortal man but Jesus Christ himself 
I've been telling people that for 35 years, and beloved, I stand with the prophet and with Paul, and I say, who believes our report? How is it possible for them to believe this report short of the power of God? Men cannot persuade them. I cannot persuade them. If I could, I would, but I cannot persuade them. It's nothing short of the power of God. So the prophet said, who's going to believe this report? Unto whom is the arm of the Lord? Salvation revealed. To whom? Or perhaps they believe not because the Father should be satisfied, appeased with the seeing the travail of His own Son and bearing the iniquities of many. This is verse in Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He hath put Him to grief. Who put Him to grief? Well, the Romans... And the soldiers and the Jews know God has his father put him to grief. It pleased him to bruise him. How morbid does that sound to the mortal man? Why would God the Father be pleased to bruise his own son? To put grief upon him? When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And the prophet stops and says, Who shall believe such a report? But the deepest stroke, stricken, smitten, and afflicted, but the deepest stroke that pierced him was a stroke that justice gave. Oh, it wasn't the crown upon his head. It wasn't the beating of the soldiers. It wasn't the cat of nine tails which ripped the skin off his back to where his bones were made to be revealed. It wasn't the spitting and the scorning and the mocking. It wasn't even the cross. It was the stroke of justice. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Who, the prophet Christ, will believe that? Short of the power of God? Or maybe they don't believe it because the great salvation which Christ's suffering would eternally secure for them. He made intercession for the transgressions. And with his stripes we are healed. Such a glorious salvation. You mean freed from sin? You mean free from guilt? Washed and cleansed in the blood of Christ? Now having peace with God? How can man believe such a glorious salvation can come through such suffering and woe? It's no wonder the prophet in the midst of all this is who hath believed our report. And to whom is the art of the Lord revealed? Perhaps it's a combination of all these and much more. Constrained the great prophet to cry out, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm revealed? Arm of the Lord revealed. Yet I want to only look at a few of them this morning. I pray that you'll indulge me this morning in the next few weeks as we look at this passage of Scripture because I do want to take my time in it and examine it, especially with the upcoming holiday they call Easter. 
when folks, some of them, will be trying to remember the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. May we, as God's people, listen to the words of God this morning so that we might not be confounded in believing why or who believes the report, but that God might give us grace to preach the gospel in a manner that they would see and understand and know the power of God and the salvation. First, they believe not our report because of the great darkness and depravity of sinful man's heart. Look in verses 4 to 6 in Isaiah 53. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he's wounded. See, the prophet said they're not looking at it the right way. They, they're looking at that saying, well, he's smitten of God. No. prophet goes on and says, but what you're not seeing, he was wounded for our transgressions. For yours, for mine. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. We, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. They believed not our report that the great and immeasurable suffering which Christ himself would suffer was because of their great sinfulness and depravity. They don't believe that. You see, man's biggest problem is not that he doesn't realize he's gone to hell. It's his biggest problem is he doesn't realize he needs a Savior. He's not realizing that he's in great debt to God. The measure of his judgment and sufferings was equal to the punishment due sinful man for his sins. In other words, what Christ suffered is what we deserved. It's our iniquities. It's our transgressions. It's the iniquities of us all are laid upon Him. What we deserved, Christ paid for. And as Christians say, well, that's just simplistic. We've known that for a long time. I think in many ways Christians forget that. Because when you hear them talk about the Gospel, they don't emphasize that. You don't understand. What Christ suffered was for you. The punishments that he endured and suffered was for you, not for himself. The punishment must equal the crime or there can be no true justice. People say, preacher, why couldn't God just speak sin away? He's God, why couldn't he just speak it away? Well, because he's a God also of justice, a just God, and a holy God. Someone had to pay the price. If someone walked into this room this morning or into a courtroom and it was proven without a shadow of doubt that they had murdered somebody, would they simply say, okay, well, you're ready to walk free? No, there must be justice. God couldn't just speak sin away. Somebody had to pay the debt. The problem of it is, no mortal man could ever pay the debt. 
That's why Christ had to come into the world, sinless, perfect, walk amongst men for 33 years, and be a perfect sacrifice. The sacrifice of God had to be sinless, had to be perfect. That's why He became man. That's why when people celebrate Christmas or the birth of Christ, He had to become mortal flesh. He had to become one with man so that He might die in the place of men. Somebody had to pay the debt. But who believes that report? I'm not that bad of a person. I'm fairly good. I'm morally good. I'm, I don't kill anybody. I don't murder anybody. You might look good compared to men, but compared to God, you're wicked and undone, and you're without God and without Christ. You can't compare yourselves with God. You see, for you and I to get into heaven, we have to be just as righteous as God. He became sin for us who knew no sin. He became sin for us who knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You see, somebody had to take your place. You say, preacher, what if I don't believe that? Report. Well, then you have to pay the punishment. And it'll take you an eternity. An eternal damnation in hell to pay the sin debt. That's why Christ not only had to be man to be our representative, He also had to be God because nobody could suffer what He did in the short amount He did without being God. For three hours the sun refused to shine as Christ hung between heaven and earth in our place and bore the wrath of God for all my sins. And when He said it is finished, it was finished for all those who believe in Christ. I will never stand before God for my sins. Does that mean you're perfect? Believe me, I've been reminded the last few days that I have never been perfect. My flaws have been many. My failures, not a few. But it's not me. It's Christ's righteousness that makes me perfect before God. He took my place on Calvary. He had to be God and man to be the perfect intercessor. Who believes that report? Sinful man is so in love with darkness that he hates the very light which alone can redeem him from that other darkness which holds him capture. Over in John chapter 3. Why did they not believe our report? Because of the depravity and darkness of their hearts. John chapter 3. Listen to what our Lord says. In verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You say, well, I believe in God. I believe in Christ. Well, the devils believe in tremble. Just simply believing that he existed is not believing in Christ. Believing in Christ biblically is believing in him unto salvation. Big difference. 
And this is the condemnation, verse 19, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. It is his love for darkness which makes them hate the light. And that because, Christ said, because their deeds are evil. Cast down, listen to me, dearly beloved Christian, cast down or expose their evil deeds by the preaching of the gospel and sinful man because he loves the darkness will despise and reject the light with every fiber of his bones. That's how much he loves the darkness. Why do you think people don't want to hear the gospel? Why do you think so many so-called churches are watering down the gospel? I'm telling you that what you're hearing today is not the gospel. And I'm getting ahead of myself. But the gospel is not merely an invitation. God doesn't leave it up to you whether you what you're going to do with the gospel. He doesn't do that. He says, it's a commandment. You need to be saved. It's a commandment. It's not up to you. It's not given unto you to decide what to do with that gospel. God says either you're going to be saved or damned. One of the two. But it's not up to you to choose what you're going to do with it. Because Paul said before, we're a Savior unto life and life and death and death. He said, Christ has always caused us to triumph. The gospel triumphs in both the saving and the condemning. It triumphs. Their hatred for the light is so severe and sinister that sinful man becomes insane with malice and anger towards God and His ministers. Have you noticed it in this day and age in which we live in? Have you noticed that we're not seeing very many sinners come to repentance? That should give us as Christians great things to consider. Why is that so? Why is the preaching of the gospel not being effective? And look at the world, the way they're treating Christians. We're nothing but a bunch of fanatical people. Oh, they kind of go overboard. Oh, I believe in God, but not to their level of fanaticism. You cannot be fanatical enough for God. Look at the politics and the laws now they're trying to pass. Whether it's the woke or critical race theory or the LGBT and all these things. All those things are against the Scriptures, against Bible, against God. They all are. I'm telling you, a man gets sainfully malice. Insanefully malice and anger towards God. Remember Herodias? Who was married to Herod? And John the Baptist... Isn't that amazing? You read that story and it said that Herod heard John gladly and even obeyed a lot of things he told him. John could have just left it like that like a lot of preachers today. Oh, I've got a good congregation. They love my preaching and they're hearing it. That's good. Let's not do anything to upset the cart. Let's, let's kind of just keep preaching the same thing. Let's make them feel good. We'll sing the songs and wave the arms and we'll just make them all feel happy and joyful and good. Let's not, let's not tip the cart. No, but John went to Herod and said, Herod, I know you hear me gladfully, and I know you obey a lot of things, but let me tell you something, Herod. The woman you have, you cannot be married to her. She's your brother's wife. And oh, Herodias got mad. So she got her daughter to dance before Herod. 
played on his lust. She knew him. And boy, he was just pulled into that thing. And he said to the daughter, I'll give you anything to the half of my kingdom. So she ran off to Mama and said, Mama, what should I ask for? Herodias' anger and malice towards John and what he preached was so insanely mad. She said, tell him to give me John's head right here in a charger. So she did. And Herod, because of his own sake, regardless of how much he loved to hear John, took his head off and brought John's head in a charger to Herodias. You don't think men don't like the gospel? It ain't even started, dearly beloved. They're going to hate us with great malice. And it's starting now. If we preach the gospel, Stephen's proclamation would be would so pierce and cut the hearts of the Jews in Acts chapter 7 that it wasn't enough for them to merely stone him. But the Bible said they rushed him and gnashed on him with their teeth. Can you imagine the level of malice that somebody would do that? We had an incident last week, as a matter of fact. No name said where somebody in their retirement home did that. Got so mad they bit somebody. I mean literally bit them. It was bad. These people ran upon Stephen and started gnashing on him with his teeth. Oh, that that's not going to happen today. There's some parts of the world at this very moment where Christians are suffering severe persecution. And it's coming to America. The pushing of James off the temple roof was not sufficient to quell the Jews' anger towards his message. But they must rush upon his now broken body after they pushed him off the temple that they might beat out his brains with fuller clubs. Pushed him off the temple, hit the ground, every bone in his body probably broken, still alive, and they ran with fuller clubs and proceeded to beat his brains out for preaching the gospel. You don't think men hate the gospel? You don't think sinners hate it when they hear it? They despise it. They reject it. First time you heard the gospel, I mean the real gospel, it wasn't very pleasant to you either. This world today thinks that people hear the gospel, they're going, oh, this is so sweet and lovely and I'm just going to skip on down there and embrace Christ and everything's going to be peachy keen in my life and everything's going to be all right. I'm telling you, first time you heard the gospel, you did not like it. You know why? Because it told you that you're a sinner, you're wicked, you're no good, you deserve hell and God doesn't have to save you. If he doesn't want to, he'd be just as just in leaving in your sins and leaving you to condemnation forever. You didn't like that. Who likes that? But oh, when you heard that, then you heard that God is merciful. Even the sight of blood flowing from Christ's brow, which alone could purge our sins, incited the anger of the Jews to cry more exceedingly, Crucify! Crucify! They did not like him. Why do men not believe our report? Because of the darkness of their hearts. They love darkness 
rather than light. One other reason that I want to give you this morning. And I want you to listen really closely to this one because I believe with all my heart there are more and more people in this day and age who fall under this category. And it terrifies me to think of them. Men do not believe our report. And it is in many ways more terrifying and more condemning than the former because of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to this passage of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to see this. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, listen to the wording now. If our gospel be hid, It is hid hid to them that are lost. But he's not finished. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Let me read verse 4 again and listen very closely. In whom the God of this world, Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, In other words, this isn't like the former, the ones that are simply lost and going to hell. He's talking about those who've heard it, who've been allowed to hear it, but Satan blinds their minds from believing in it. Different people, different sorts. The blinding of the minds to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ by the God of this world implies that there are such that hear the gospel yet whose minds are blinded that they should not believe it. In other words, there's somebody that's been privileged to sit under the preaching of the gospel. Maybe once, maybe twice, maybe many times. Some of you this morning have been privileged to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet you still are blinded unto believing what that gospel is saying. That's what Paul's saying. So the God of this world blinds your minds from believing. Well, I go to church. I listen to a sermon. I read some Bible. I'm good. No, you haven't seen, you haven't heard the gospel. Your mind, it's amazing how Paul says your mind, your mind's been blinded. You're not understanding it. Unlike the former who hate the light and therefore reject it, these are those who have been exposed to the gospel of Christ, heard it, yet whose minds have been blinded that they might not believe it, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds. Now this is very, an amazing truth. And in some ways, very terrifying. The design and goal of Satan is to keep men in ignorance. Are we aware of that? To keep men in ignorance. I've mentioned this a few times in the past, and I'm never weary of mentioning it, but I'm telling you, sometimes the way from my office 
in preparing the message to hear when I can finally deliver it, there's a lot that goes on in between. And I'm telling you, sometimes it's a spiritual battle that takes me to the very end of my sanity. Everything in the world seems to be against. And I have to admit, many times in the past, I didn't make it from there to here because I allowed things in the middle to stop or hinder me. That's why I covet your prayers. People think it's easy. Well, you just get up on Sunday and open the Bible and preach, say a few words. Man, that's pretty easy. Anybody can do that. Let me tell you something. There is a satanic spiritual adversary and that warfare is very real, especially when it comes to preaching the gospel to people who need Christ because Satan's design, his main goal, is to keep men in ignorance. So if he can hinder any way the preaching of the gospel, he will use any means, any means he can. So what do you do? I try to shut everything else out. Try to keep it out. I don't want to hear it, don't want to hear it, don't want to hear it. Why? I've got an important task this morning. Oh, I'm telling you. And this blinding of Satan, dearly beloved, is not without God's own consent. Listen to me. Because you need to. Because some of you here this morning have heard the gospel so much. If you're not careful, you're going to become so spiritually callous and indifferent that you're going to turn out to be an apostate. God's going to just turn you over to error. Turn you over to yourself. You say he wouldn't do that. I'm telling you he would and he will. We play with the souls of men as though they've got time and it's okay to keep rejecting refusing God. This is the problem with today's gospel. It doesn't, it doesn't show sinful man the urgency of the message. You don't understand. You've been hurt. You've been told this morning from the word of God about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you're responsible for what you heard. And the more you reject and deny that, the more Satan blinds your mind, keeps you ignorant to these things until the day of your death. And guess what happens then? Then you realize that you've wasted your time. It's not without God's own consent. For it's the greatest, most terrifying judgment of God when He sovereignly allows His light to shine within the hearts or in the minds of men, yet deprive them of all understanding. That's an amazing statement, but that's what Paul's saying. God sovereignly allows His light to shine within the minds of men, yet He deprives them of all understanding. Oh, I heard the gospel this morning. I heard what the preacher said. Christ died for our sins. Christ suffered for us. Oh, I heard the reading of Isaiah 53. Yes, he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. Yes, I understood that. I heard that. Yes, I understand that. But he blinds you. He blinds you from understanding that. And by that, listen to me, and by that, the light bring the greatest of darkness. 
He said, that's a paradox. No, the light, which is intended to bring you to Christ, turns out to lead you into the greatest darkness. He said, God would never do that. God has done that and God will do that. And he continues to do that. Continue rejecting God. Continue playing, well, I might not be elect, or it's God's sovereignty, and I just, you know, I just wait until God kind of just stirs in me, and I'll just, you know, wait. You, you don't want to do that. You, you hear the message, you hear it, and you need to take it with you, and you need to meditate on it, you need to feed on it, and you need to pray over it, and you need to really seek God because of it. I have time. Do you? I can wait. Can you? What's going to happen tomorrow? This afternoon? When is it time? Today is the day of salvation. Look over to Second Peter. I'm hurrying. Second Peter. Actually not, but I'm getting to the end. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 20. Now listen to this. Second Peter 2 verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge, listen to it, they've escaped the pollutions of the world, outward conformity, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. The latter is worse. Now watch. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. Now that statement always terrifies me. Well, how could it be better not to know the way of righteousness? How could it be better not to know Christ? How could it be better not to have eternal life? How can Peter say it had been better? Because it had been better because what's going to happen to you is the worst thing you could ever think of. And why? Because you were given the knowledge of the truth and yet you did nothing with it. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog has turned his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. What's it mean? He just turned out to be what they were. Hypocrites. He'd been better. And I, those words always strike me. How could it be better? Because the condemnation is so great. <coughs> it would have been better. Your punishment would have been less if you'd never heard the gospel. If you this morning never do anything with the gospel, and I'm saying this in full belief of the sovereignty of God, divine election, and all the doctrines we so cherish, I'm telling you, if you do nothing with what God has given you this morning, you bear the responsibility of neglecting and rejecting God. You bear the responsibility. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not yours to do as you wish. It's not. This is the problem with today's <clears throat> gospel, which I question is even a gospel or not. It's not yours to do as you wish. When once you've heard it, but to obey. 
Today's gospel doesn't have any kind of sense like that. No sense of urgency. No sense of saying, do you understand what's happening? You've just read the gospel. For the last 40 minutes or so, you've heard the gospel preached. You've heard the Bible. You've read the Bible. You've read it with me. You've heard all of these things. It's not up to you what you do with that. It's not yours to do with what you wish. But once you've heard it, God says, now you have to obey it. Well, I, I don't... I don't like that kind of gospel because I want to make my own decision. Yeah, if you make your own decision, you know where you'll be? You'll be in eternal damnation because your decision will never be for God. You're not good enough. There's none that seeketh after God. There's none that doeth righteousness. Of all sin that comes short of the glory of God. You say, what do I do? I've heard the gospel so many times and I'm still not touched. I don't feel convicted this morning. I don't feel all this. I understand what you're saying, preacher. I understand the words you're saying. I understand what I read. I, I understand the words literally. But I don't feel convicted. I don't feel moved. I don't feel the need to cry out to Christ. What do I do? Well, I, Scripture leads us to this. To cry out as the Father with His possessed Son. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. One day in Germany, many, 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 many years ago, when I first met my wife, and I think I've said this to you before, but as an example, I'll use myself, and I came home after work in a drunken stupor. Nothing I'm proud of. I went up the stairs to the second floor. We stayed, my wife and I, our first house. It was a spooky old two-story house. Really spooky. Anyway, I went upstairs, and it was pitch dark. And for some reason, I got to think about what my grandfather told me about hell. He said, son, hell's so dark you can't see the hand in front of your face. And it's like that for eternity. You feel and sense things around you that torment you, and it never stops. And I put my hand in front of my face, and I couldn't see it. I went over to the window on that summer night, and I opened it up, and there were stars all in heaven. And I just looked up in heaven and said, God, I, I have a hard time believing you are who you are. If you don't show me, I will never believe. Let me tell you, my life began to change after that. And God began moving in my life providentially and showing me. You say, is it that simple? If it was any more complicated, we'd all be lost in our sins. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, burdened, and I shall give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for my yoke is light and easy to bear. It's that simple. What must I do to be saved? The jailer said to Paul. Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Oh, it's got to be more complicated than that. Look at all he went through. It's got to be some kind of, you know, labyrinth. I got a labyrinth. I got to go through to find Christ. No, it's not. It's that simple. You hear the gospel. You confess your sins. You know that you're a sinner. You know Christ died for you. It's that simple. Why do we, especially those who believe in the doctrines of grace, we make it sometimes so complicated? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It's that simple, preacher? It's that simple. May God open your eyes and show you. May the Lord open our eyes as God's people and remind us. People have a hard time believing our report because of the darkness and depravity of their sins and because there's an, there's an enemy out there that blinds their minds. The task is great. And nothing short of the power of God 
in the preaching of the gospel can save men can save men from their sins. May God give us grace to ever remember that. And may God give grace and show you grace this morning if you know not Christ. Because I'm telling you, what you've heard this morning might not have been the perfect gospel you've ever heard. And I'm sure many other men could have preached it much better than I did. But I'm telling you alone, the Scriptures we read hold you accountable. What are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that, Lord, you'd... Lord, help us to believe the report, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't do that, Lord, with nothing short of the power of God. Lord, we as thy children... Remember to this day the power of God that entered into our hearts and our minds when we confessed our sins and turned to Christ by Your grace. Lord, we know something of that power because, Lord, it's filled our hearts and our lives with joy and excitement and assurance and rest and peace in Christ. Lord, we thank You that You suffered so much for our sins. And, Lord, we are ever indebted to Your grace. Lord, I pray that You'd open the hearts of someone this morning so they might know something of that grace and mercy. So they might know you as you truly are. Lord, we really want to tell the world how wonderful and glorious and merciful you are. Yet, Lord, how shall they receive our report? Lord, if you don't open their eyes and reveal yourself to them. Be merciful, we pray. Guide and direct. We pray now that you'd bless also this time of fellowship. And the food, pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all things. Now guide us and direct us, we pray, through this week. We'll love you and thank you for everything. And as Jennifer and Justin and Lexi prepare at the end of this week to move on to Ohio, Lord, we pray your traveling mercies upon them. And Lord, we are so thankful, so thankful to you bring them to us. We love them dearly and thank you for them. We pray now that you guide and direct throughout this entire day and week. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.